What's up, guys? It's Eric Melcher, where you are listening to my podcast, Innovators Can Laugh, where I dive into the interesting and fascinating stories of innovators from all over Romania and Eastern Europe. Before I forget, if you enjoy the show, please give us a review and join our newsletter at innovatorscanlaugh.com, where you can get a preview and show notes of every guest we have on the show. My guest today is Roman Kaldaric, founder of Spinoa, an innovative and nutrient-dense food that has low carbon emissions. Roman was born in Marseille, France, but has been living in Romania for the past 10 years. Roman, welcome to Innovators Can Lab. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, thanks. Absolutely. So let's get started off with doing what, what we call an ICL round. And these are just a few light, quirky questions that reveal some interesting things about you. Okay. okay. Okay, starting off, what was your favorite toy or hobby growing up? I remember my uncle actually brought me one day a bicycle, a small bicycle when I was around 11. So I would say that this small bicycle was my favorite <laughs> and it's a hobby in the same time. Yeah, yeah. Did he teach you how to ride it or did you already know how to ride it? I knew actually, I knew how to ride it. I'm teaching my son how to ride his bicycle right now, he's four. And sometimes I take him to the park when I also take my daughter who's 18 months. And so I'm trying to push the stroller in one hand and then hold his bike seat on the other hand. It's really funny. (laughs) I'm running at the same time and sometimes I just have to decide which one am I going to let go of. (laughs) And once my my daughter was in the trees because the stroller had steered off left and it was really funny. Okay, second question. What fictional character do you wish you could meet? And it could be from a movie or a book, TV show. It's a good question. (laughs) I never thought about that, about that one. Let me me think a bit. Okay, let's come back to that one. Okay. So the next question is, if you could have someone like a personal assistant follow you around all day, what would you have them do? I think I would go for the um, all the organization the structuration of my agenda <laughs> because it's I'm very bad at it and all what is it all what is it it's about uh, accounting and all the paperwork and uh, all this stuff during the the working time that would be it and okay. if we talk about like personal stuff I would say that preparing all the the day just to be efficient in terms of food, uh, healthy stuff and preparing uh, things that I'm ha- happy to eat and know that I will feel good when I, when I eat it. I think most of us do in our life. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now let's rewind a little bit, go back to your childhood. Where did you grow up and, and what was it like? I was lucky. I, I grew up uh, around Marseille uh, on the coast nearby the sea, like uh, literally 50 meters away from the, the seashore. Wow. And yeah, it was a small village close to Marseille on the west and in a small neighborhood. It was surrounded by the a beautiful environment and some some parks or where to. I'm always comparing to what I see now in Romania and I think yet yeah, the environment was really nice where I grew up. Were you and friends always going to the beach? Was that something you did often? Yeah, yeah. This is this was in the summer, starting from May or June. We would go every day to the seaside. I also a tennis play, a place to to play tennis and to play football. So I was doing a lot of sport at this time every day. It was a beautiful uh, child. Sounds really fun. And um, sorry, by the way, I know France lost yesterday, <laughs> which I think yeah. I think was a shocker. 
but nevertheless uh, it was a beautiful match even if we we lost full of uh, suspense and uh, i think it's the the good way to see it is to just enjoy uh, yeah the croatia and spain game was also very suspenseful yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> i'm not even a football fan <laughs> okay so you're in marseille and my understanding that there's a big festival in the region i think it's in the region called the foie jazz festival is that near marseille yeah it's not far it's 200 or 200 kilometers away close to spain in the middle of the mountains very remote <laughs> oh wow and you've volunteered there for a number of years did you like the festival what brought you there Yes, yes. Actually, the same uncle that I mentioned earlier was actually a friend with the guy which is organizing the festival. And what's special about this festival is that it's a, it's in a very small town, which is around 11,000 people. It's one of the smallest city hall in France, which is uh, important in the region. But they have very qualitative people coming for jazz. And uh, so this guy was organizing with taking all the year. He was trying to get subventions from the region and from the city hall in order to get the money to attract these people. And since uh, I think he, he was doing a good job and all the team, actually, the, the people that I was working with really passionate about this, this jazz epoch before, before the sixties, when it was still bebop jazz with Thelonious Monk, uh, Miles Davis, all the big, uh, John Coltrane. And uh, we could attract uh, uh, a lot of people from, especially in the US, that were quite famous at that time. And so it was a, a very unique uh, possibility to get in touch with the, the artist. I was actually driving the artist from the airport or from the train station to the festival. Okay, so after you volunteered there, correct me if I'm wrong, but you also did some work as a volunteer. Is that correct? Yes, that's true. I went to uh, Madagascar for uh, a month and a half. I was just uh, finishing my second year of study and uh, we went 14 students by uh, autonomies, uh, so only us without uh, any teacher. And actually, we were working all the year in order to gather some funds and to uh, help this association in the east of Madagascar, which is reconstructing a house where young people could go and practice some arts, sports. And the issue there was that there was a tornado that destroyed the building and we had to reconstruct the, the whole thing, especially the roof, and to make it look better and attractive for the young people of this city. It was a very small city in the close to the coast on the ocean Indian, Indian Ocean. And yeah, so we how had to... People, how did the people welcome you? How, how did they treat you? Very well. Maybe that Madagascar used to be a French, but so they have their own language, but they still uh, learn French at school. And they, it's funny because they speak very well French. They don't make shortcut or just very literal French and, and proper French, <laughs> better than us actually. And they were really welcoming. I remember one of the things that uh, shocked me the, the, the most was that when I came from Marseille, from the city, people are looking down, uh, walking on the street and very pretty stressed, going a bit uh, fast. And everywhere there, they had nothing. Literally, they were having no possession at almost just a shelter to stay. It was very poor, uh, poor country and poor region. But everyone was smiling in a quite easy going, not so much stress, it seems. <laughs> so that was one of the things, yeah. 
that was very impressive when I came and then the the, the, the relationship with these uh, the people that staying there was uh, was really strong because uh, we were working together all the time and they were very open-minded and letting us entering the life of their day-to-day -day life and uh, yes yeah yeah at the end of the trip we were actually saying goodbye and Half of the people were just crying. <laughs> We've just uh, we we had some very tight connection with them. It was, yeah. it was really nice. Did you explore some of the island, or did you mostly stay in this? In that no, actually, we were a group of four, four or five people that were a bit more uh, sportive, and we were every weekend we were going out of this city to explore Madagascar, the the island. So we had some interesting trips in the forest, in the middle of the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody get lost or? Almost, actually. We, I remember this time where we, we were walking for six hours and uh, crossing different landscapes in the forest. It was uh, really amazing. A little bit like in the, the Lord of Rings when you come from a very dense and wide uh, jungle to arid and dried environment. And then we came, we arrived on the beach. We were finally relieved. And we were almost there at the, the place where we were, were going to stay. And so we went to just swimming the beach a little bit. And we were able to go very far because the level of the water was not going down so fast. So we went like 100 uh, meters away. And then we came back on the beach. It was the birthday of my one of my friends. And then we celebrated a little bit. We come back to the, we go to the hotel finally. And the first thing that the guy from the hotel tell us is that we shouldn't go to the to the inside the sea because there are crocodiles there. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> we were spending something like one hour, and some, so we got lucky. <laughs> yeah, the wow. small monkeys like the lemurian. I don't know how you say that in English. It's uh, the, the this type because Madagascar has a specific biotope. It was uh, never uh, really. Uh, it was separate from Africa very long time ago. So the species. Uh, from the animals and the, the plants are different from the continent. So you have this uh, specific Lemurian, which is this monkey. And uh, they were very friendly to us. We were walking and they were staying on our shoulders. Oh, uh, is that the yeah. gray one with the big eyes? Yes, exactly. <laughs> the, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's the one from the, the movie and the animate animation. Yeah, yeah. Cool. At least he's friendly. At least in the cartoon, they make him very friendly. So it's good to hear in real life that they weren't dangerous or aggressive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. after Madagascar, what was the next big decision uh, in your life? I went uh, one year in Norway, and that was, uh, you know, very different because it was the complete opposite from Madagascar. You know, very <laughs> <laughs> well organized, <laughs> very cold and well organized, and the civilization, the the best, it was a completely different experience, but also very, I could learn a lot from that because I remember one of the guys there, uh, we were staying into Erasmus campus, let's say. So a lot of students were there and we had, I, I, was, I was lucky because I was in the apartment where all the party was going on. So everyone would come to our apartment. And one of the guy was handicapped from the, his right part of the body. So he had uh, an issue. He could not move very well his, his right parts. And I was impressed how well he was integrated into the student society. I remember he had a girlfriend. He was laughing all the time with everyone, making jokes, not be behaving like uh, someone that has a, something different. 
Not and, uh, concerned, huh? Yeah. 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 So that's something that I really appreciated in the, in Norway. I was thinking that if if that was in Marseille, it wouldn't be the same, because people are you know a bit more judgmental sometimes and not some not so open minded. And uh, yeah, so that's part of Norwegian society integration was really nice. This is something I I could remember. Good to hear. Yeah. Now, when did you decide to move to Romania? Then that, so that was the very end of my studies when I had the opportunity to come for a French IT company and to make a first study to see if that was a good place for that IT French company to make a subsidiary of their company and to have like an antenna in a, <clears throat> in Bucharest. And that at the end of the three months of study, the result was positive because Romania has a lot of advantages for France because uh, there is a strong cultural link in some ways. People are, a lot of people are actually speaking French. We, we don't feel so, so far away from that culture, especially from Marseille. I think the culture from Romania and Marseille are, are very similar. <laughs> And this is in 2010, right? Yes, exactly. 2010. I arrived in, in Armenia. Okay. And was there anything that surprised you about coming here? It was funny because when I came, it was maybe the, one of the worst moments. It was 30 centimeters of snow and in the winter, very cold. And when I arrived to the Banasa, it was at this time, it was still Banasa airport. I took the, the bus in the wrong way. So I arrived in the middle of what was called Autopen or after Autopen, very far away in the middle of nowhere. And <laughs> it was supposed to be Bucharest. So <laughs> I arrived in the, yeah, in the middle of nowhere with a lot of dogs. At this time, it was still a lot of dogs. And I was <laughs> thinking like, oh, is this really Bucharest? <laughs> And actually, no, so I went, I went on the other side and uh, yeah, I found out that I was living in Militar, uh, in Cartierol Militar, which is a quite communist neighborhood. They still have a lot of blocks, big blocks, and the atmosphere is a bit special. I had some very good uh, interaction with people and uh, that was a really very nice when you come to a country and that people have a genuine interest for interacting with. So that was it's helping here. a lot. Yeah. And on the other side, there were also people that were too ashamed to speak uh, another language. So they would be very cold and no, I don't want to speak. And just uh, so it was <laughs> the, the both sides. But. Okay. So let's jump to 2016 because you and a friend decide to travel the world meet people who are implementing innovative solutions when it comes to social challenges regarding food, energy, and ecology. And you both are traveling mostly on bike through Turkey, Iran, India, Indonesia, and Cambodia. Okay, what was this experience like? I know there's not enough time in this show to talk about everything, but when you go back five years ago, what do you remember about that trip the most? What comes to your mind? Yeah, that's, uh, you're right. That was a lot of experiences in one year. It was one year and one month. So really a large palette of experiences. But maybe one thing is that when we were living, uh, a lot of people say, ah, but it's going to be dangerous. And especially when you are going to cross the Middle East, it's going to be a danger. And Iran and Turkey was one of the safest places we've ever been. And actually more than safe, it was people extremely welcoming, especially in Iran. 
and Kurdistan, the region of Kurdistan, the people were excessively welcoming and nice with us. When we arrived on the bicycle in the middle of a, a small town close to in the Kurdistan from Iran, the literally all the villages came around us and were <laughs> starting to proposing for us to stay at their place. Yeah, all the all the people were like fighting for big TV or I have internet in my place come to me so everyone was really <laughs> really welcoming how did you and your friend decide I bet you're both looking at each other very shocked and not knowing Actually, how to respond yeah so we went to a small restaurant and the guy from the restaurant uh, actually fi finished to convince us and because he was really nice to us just he said he, he just gave us food for free and then <laughs> send his brother to to bring us some other ne uh, extra food and uh, we were like we could not uh, <laughs> obligated now <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it was all the time in iran and turkey it was uh, really amazing for the, the connection that we had with the people but this is something we couldn't do so much in india nepal and uh, cambodia is to stay at people's place it was not so easy as in iran and turkey but that uh, was the most uh, powerful moment, I would say, because we were really living the same way that they, the people live and eating on the ground or sleeping on small mattress on the ground as well. And uh, sharing moments with, the, with, with them in a way that you don't really do when you just go to the hotel and visit a nice landscape. Right. So, right. so this, there is this, uh, this part of the trip that was about meeting and connecting with people that was one of the most interesting, I think, for us. Where did you have a tough time leaving because you didn't want to leave? You were, you were having a really good time. Iran was one of them, definitely, and in the north of India was also a very specific atmosphere because it's in the middle of the Himalayas and we were starting to be introduced to yoga and because uh, when you reach in India, we were actually starting to yeah, get to this practice and, and seeing the way they see health is, is quite different from the West and quite uh, complementary, actually, I would say. Because they don't uh, separate so much the being in a good health and, and recovering. So they, they would just uh, stay, uh, try to stay healthy by eating healthy or having habits that would uh, keep your body uh, flexible along the way, along the time. So yoga is more like a daily practice. For some of them, it's, it's definitely not all of them that are practicing, but yeah. Is they it have... one of your daily practices now, or do you do it every every few days? Yes, yes, yoga. At least uh, don't make it like uh, a religion, but when it's really helping for keeping the body flexible and at least the sun salutation that are quite complete and uh, you could get benefit from all the different parts of your body stretching all it's a very good exercise to do i, I definitely <laughs> need to do that as i get older yeah, um, more flexible okay so yeah. let's talk a little bit to, about spinoa what happened during the past few years that sparked the idea of creating spinoa and if you could tell the listeners a, a little bit about what it is and then also how you got it off the ground Okay, so how it happened, I think I should go back to around seven years ago when I start to understand that what I eat has an influence on my how I feel. And that was one of the discovery in the last 10 years is that the microbiote, the microbiome is quite important, not only for our health in the long term, 
but on also on to our daily disposition, how we, we feel in the daily life. And uh, I, I noticed that when I was 25, I started to be a little bit more slow to think after a big, big meal of pastas and meats or something heavy to digest. Especially, I started... especially here. <laughs> yes, exactly. Maybe that was one of the things because <laughs> I was eating with my colleagues from Romania and we were like eating a lot. And uh, in the afternoon, I, I really, yeah, I got a, a, a click when uh, you, you start, start to notice that the food really affects your concentration. And I, I wanted to be efficient in the afternoon. I started to be more and more careful about what I was eating and uh, slowly modified my diet. And one day I just tried to, to not eat meat for one month and to see how it, how it was, uh, how I felt. And I really felt better, actually. I decided to change my diet um, slowly and to uh, be more aware. And I was looking for alternatives to, to when you reduce the meat consumption, you you need also some protein, iron and like some like nuts and almonds and milk or something to supplement it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I was looking at the, what was the highest protein uh, food and uh, spirulina was uh, 60%. I discovered that yeah, that microalgae was really good for that. And so that's how I got an interest into that. And initially, I found it only as a powder and pills. And coming from Asia, not uh, always very easy to, to find where the traceability. It was not easy to, to figure out where it was grown and how was the method to produce it. And then I uh, I was uh, happily surprised to see that in France there are around 200 uh, producers that are doing artisanal spirulina. So I, I I was very curious about that algae because it seems to everyone was saying that it was a miracle of the food because even the United Nations declared that it was the food of the future. NASA used it for the astronauts that are going into space. It's a lot of credit. Because these uh, superfood trends could be sometimes deceiving because the marketing is pushing a lot on some of the food that are actually just just good food, but not necessarily exceptional. But uh, yes, Parina has a lot of credit from different uh, sources. So I dig a little bit more on that micro. And uh, I was quite impressed that it was only in France that we could find it in this artisanal shape and that this artisanal shape makes actually a lot of difference because you can eat it into your daily life. It doesn't have that strong uh, taste that you are uh, repealing taste. And, and also it keeps better the nutrients. Uh, when you observe the micro on the microscope, the spirulina usually has a spiral shape when it's uh, alive. And then when it's dried in a low temperature, you can find the, the spiral again on the microscope. When it's made into powder, it's uh, the, the, the cells of the spirulina are completely destroyed. So that's one of the indicators of the loss of quality, loss of nutrients. Oh, so it's a much better when you take it whole versus in the powder format then. So yes. The way you're serving it. Yes, when it's uh, dried on a low temperature, it's actually uh, it makes a big difference in terms of uh, taste and also nutritional profile is better. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. So, how did you get it off the ground? How did you launch your? It was so during the trip, during the bicycle trip, I came across uh, Energaya, a company in Bangkok that uh, was producing spirulina on the rooftop of Novotel. It was quite innovative company, and I was very impressed. I discussed with the guy, the CEO. And he told me that he made a study in Europe to see how much people were uh, in Europe, what was the country that was uh, looking for spirulina 
on Google the most, and it was actually Romania. So at this time, I got uh, a sign that it could be something to bring this type of <laughs> news parina into Romania. <laughs> because Obviously, there was... <laughs> you got really excited. You're like, okay, I know that country. <laughs> I'm living there right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I discussed with a friend when I came back, uh, a friend which is working into the, he used to be working for 10 years into the agro sector for big companies. So he was used to food stuff. And discussing together, we decided that it was a good time for him also to leave big companies and start to move away from cooperation to make his own business in order to be, to get more freedom decided together to launch the spinner company. Initially, the objective was to make a farm. So it's still uh, one of our objectives to make a farm, a local farm in order to have a, a local product. Mm-hmm. And uh, today we decided actually to start to commercialize this type of spirina to, to check if the market was positively answering positively. And now we start to have the answers to that there is an interest for it, a growing interest. So we are actively looking for making a, a farm in the region. Great. And most of your customers, are they both individual people who can order from your website as well as restaurants or is it strictly just to individual people right now? It's actually both of them, actually. So we have, let's say, 60% of uh, B2C, so the direct to customers, and uh, 40% of uh, B2B, so restaurant uh, shops that are also distributing our spirina or coffee shops sometimes. And some of the buyers are also people that would use them, uh, use the spirulina into their uh, own product, like uh, chocolate with uh, spirulina crunches inside. Yeah. We have that. Uh, How are honey. the cafes? You said coffee houses. How are they using it? They have the, the pouch, the small pouch that could be attractive for their customers on the shelves. Another uh, way is uh, also to distribute some of our products that are more like snacks. We have chocolate with spirulina. And the chocolate spirulina is this 35 grams chocolate that contains uh, three grams of spirulina, which is the daily dose that you is recommended. And it's uh, with no sugar and also contains different type of superfood. So we, it's, it's something that works well into coffee shops. I'm eating it when I just sprinkle it over my vegetables or, or on some rice. And that's how I tend to like it the best. But I'd be very curious how other people are eating it as well what do you hear from customers what, what how do they <laughs> what are they doing to to consume it yeah so it's very diverse we we are lucky to have a good community on uh, on social media and every week we actually post one of the recipes that is sent to us by one of the customer or uh, influencer and uh, so we see a lot of people use them into as a smoothie so they just put it into the, the blender and mix it and make a smoothie with spirulina but what's new with this type of spirulina is that you could actually yeah, sprinkle it onto hummus, guacamole, this yeah. type of uh, paste that would make it an interesting texture because the, the spirulina is very crunchy. Yeah. So it's adding something more than the taste. Some people use it into yogurt in the morning. Yeah. That's a good because one. it was a study that shows that there are a beneficial effect between spirulina and uh, microorganisms that are into the yogurt. So all these lactobacillus that are 
making you having a good health for your, your gut. That spirulina improved the effect of this lactobacillus. Okay, so I'm definitely going to try that one with the yogurt because that, that to me <laughs> sounds pretty good. I can't believe I didn't think of that. Now, what is your long-term vision for, for Spinoza? It's hard to have a long-term vision now because the world is changing so fast that in three years, you really have no clue about what is going to be the world, the, what is going to look. But if I try to imagine a little bit, what we would like to do is to be able to produce spirulina in the region and to make like a model of farm that could be replicated easily by different farmers. And with that, we would have an impact on the ecology because the, the product would be local and uh, distributed locally. We also have an impact on the people's health so that people would eat uh, something that would bring them some micronutrients that are necessary and for the body. And also to the rural economy, because I really believe that the spirulina production could be uh, a good asset for uh, Romanian rural areas, because the product really uh, needs a few resources to grow, a very few water, electricity, so it's really cheap to produce it. But in the same time, the added value of the product is very high. The, it's still 100 grams is around, uh, we sell it around 55 lays, so around 12 euro. And, and the production cost is not so high. The investments cost is not so high. And on the same model as was, what was done in France, a lot of small producers uh, producing locally. I would be happy to see that uh, we could do uh, the same in, in Romania and Bulgaria, actually. Yeah. That's exciting. That's exciting, Roman. <laughs> okay, last question for you. If you could travel the world again on a bicycle, where would you go? That's also a very good question. <laughs> I have a lot of uh, countries on my list. Definitely Myanmar would be one of them because I haven't had the chance to go and I, I heard a very good things about it. It's some, uh, one of the countries that spiritually is very uh, attracting because it has a, a lot of history and the culture uh, uh, seems to be very nice. But also one of the things that I haven't done that would really like to do is the South America, especially Colombia, Brazil, Bolivia, Ecuador. These countries yeah. Yeah, would be... Very, very beautiful countries. I don't know if the monkeys are, are as nice as the one you found in Madagascar, but very beautiful <laughs> Okay. Okay, Ramon, thanks so much for being on Innovators Can Laugh. Thank you very uh, much for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. It was a pleasure. And for everyone listening, until next week, this is Eric Melcher saying goodbye and la revedere. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you are not a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to write to me, my address is innovatorscanlab at substack.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, at Melcher underscore Eric, on Facebook or Instagram at Innovators Can Lab. I'm Eric Melcher, and you're listening to Innovators Can Lab.